Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com. Earlier this year, the Chief Constable of West Midlands Police successfully challenged a misconduct hearing panel's decision to impose a final written warning after an officer made racist remarks about a fellow officer. The decision confirmed that the High Court will be prepared to intervene where panels fail to follow the College of Policing's guidance on outcomes and that misconduct involving discrimination will be treated especially seriously. I am Deborah Britstone from 3D Solicitors, and with me to discuss this case and its implications is Stephen Morley, barrister from Sergeants in Chambers. Stephen, thank you for joining me. This sounds like an interesting case. Can you explain a little bit about the background to it? Yes, of course. And hello, Deborah. The officer in this case had been a police officer for about 15 years at the time of these events in 2018. He was working in the covert surveillance unit at West Midlands Police and as a result, he was only identified as Officer A throughout the disciplinary and High Court proceedings. Officer A was the informal leader of one of the three teams in the covert surveillance unit, and the misconduct allegations that he faced concerned a conversation he had with another officer, Officer B, who was the informal leader of another one of those teams. Uh, The conversation concerned took place on the 5th of April 2018 in the uh, covert surveillance unit office and it was covertly recorded by another officer who'd left his phone in the unit office set to record. It, It appears from the judgment that this was done deliberately, probably with a view to collecting evidence of poor management and unresolved grievances. But the recording of that conversation Uh, captured Officer A making racist comments and behaving in a racist manner, which included mimicking an Asian accent. The officer who had recorded the conversation reported this to the Professional Standards Department, and this led to an investigation into alleged breaches of the standards of professional behaviour. The regulation notice that was eventually served on both Officers A and B made allegations that Officer A had been a willing participant in a conversation in which he had made racist comments and created an environment where it was acceptable for others to use racist, abusive, inappropriate, derogatory and offensive comments. So how did Officer A respond to the allegations? Well, in the normal Regulation 22 response that officers provide, uh, Officer A essentially admitted the contents of the recording. Uh, He uh, accepted that he had breached the standards of professional behaviour, but he disputed whether some of the remarks were properly described as racist, inappropriate, derogatory or offensive. And Officer A also argued that whilst he accepted his behaviour constituted misconduct, He did not accept that it amounted to gross misconduct, in particular because the context in which his remarks were made was a private conversation uh, never intended for the ears of others. Did the panel accept uh, Officer A's argument? 
Uh, no, they didn't. The panel rejected the submission that the behaviour only amounted to misconduct and they found gross misconduct proven. The panel uh, also found that Officer A had breached the standards of professional behaviour relating to equality and diversity. That was by making racist comments. Uh, authority, respect and courtesy by criticising and insulting his colleagues and discreditable conduct by doing those things in such a way that the public's confidence in policing would be undermined. What did the panel conclude about the private nature of the conversation? Well, the panel rejected the submission that there had been a reasonable expectation of privacy and they concluded that communicating uh, inappropriate thoughts between serving officers on duty tends to reinforce and perpetuate an unhealthy and desirable culture in the workplace. The panel did recognise that neither of the two officers would have acted as they did if they had known they were being recorded or if there were other people present who would be offended. But the panel were clear that having regard to the obvious and serious potential for Officer A's conduct to undermine public confidence in the police service, which is essential to policing by consent, and to deter recruits from ethnic minorities, Officer A had been guilty of gross misconduct. And the panel then went on to determine that the most appropriate outcome in that case was one of a final written warning. So how did the panel determine the sanction of a final written warning? Well, they made a number of observations about the most appropriate outcome. They observed that the recording itself had contained a number of conversations about work gripes, as it was described, largely spoken by officers A and B about other officers leaving the unit when there was uh, apparently a large backlog of urgent work uh, needing to be done. Uh, the panel found that Officer A had been venting, as they described it, or letting off steam in stressful circumstances. But during the three hours of the recording, there were several occasions when Officer A used inappropriate language. The panel considered that Officer A had applied racial stereotypes about his colleagues and made inappropriate and racist comments. But they also noted that he had made admissions, he had expressed regret, had not intended to cause offence and believed that he was speaking privately to a colleague. But they concluded that his comments had been likely to prolong the toxic culture that existed in the unit and had the potential to seriously undermine public confidence in the police service. The panel also considered personal mitigation and they in particular noted that Officer A had voluntarily undertaken equality and diversity training since the events in question and the panel said that they were satisfied that the officer was not as they described it racist but instead had said things in anger which he did not mean. Did the panel follow the College of Policing guidance on outcomes? Well, this is the interesting part of the case because the panel did indeed expressly refer to the guidance and they referred to the three-stage approach set out in the College of Policing guidance and that is one of firstly assessing seriousness, uh, secondly keeping in mind the purpose of sanctions before thirdly choosing the outcome that most appropriately fulfils that purpose for the seriousness of the conduct in question. Uh, the panel 
did also expressly refer to the four factors that should be considered when assessing seriousness, those being culpability, harm, aggravating and mitigating features, all of which are dealt with in some detail in the College of Policing guidance. And then the panel went on to conclude that Officer A's culpability had been high, particularly given the importance to West Midlands Police of maintaining its reputation for fairness and diversity. They concluded there had been a serious risk of harm to the reputation of the police service, that the misconduct itself had not been premeditated and had been limited to a single episode of relatively short duration in circumstances where the officer had been stressed by taking on responsibilities for managing his particular team in the absence of effective uh, supervision. The panel also made a specific finding that the misconduct was provoked by an apparently inexplicable decision by three officers to leave the office instead of helping with the backlog of work. They also considered that Officer A was a previous good character. They considered his lengthy service and his specialist skills, finding that he should be kept in West Midlands Police if possible. The panel were impressed with the steps he'd taken to remedy his misconduct and his genuine remorse. And then, apparently, having followed the guidance, the panel determined that a final written warning was appropriate and sufficient. So on what basis did the Chief Constable challenge the panel's decision? Well, the Chief Constable did not accept that the panel had properly followed the guidance, even though they said they had. And the Chief Constable brought a claim for judicial review of the decision to impose a final written warning, asserting that the panel had fallen into error in four particular respects. The first was that the panel had failed to exercise its discretion in accordance with the structure set out in the guidance. Secondly, the panel had failed to give proper consideration to the actual harm caused by Officer A's racist comments and behaviour. Thirdly, the panel had placed unlawful weight on the officer's mitigation, contrary to the guidance. And fourthly, the panel had reached a decision which was irrational. Did the Chief Constable's challenge succeed? Uh, Yes, it did. Uh, Back in November 2018, the High Court emphasised it in another case, the case of the Chief Constable of Greater Manchester Police and a misconduct panel known as the case of Roscoe, emphasised how important it was for police misconduct panels to follow the structured approach set out in the College of Policing guidance when determining outcome at the conclusion of a case. That structured approach is based upon the judgment of Mr Justice Popplewell in the case of Fuglers that was back in 2014. The first stage is to assess seriousness. The second stage is to keep in mind the purpose for which sanctions are imposed. And the third stage is to choose the sanction which most appropriately fulfills that purpose for the seriousness of the conduct in question. And the panel in this case of Officer A appear to have gone wrong in relation to their assessment of seriousness. Fuglers and the College of Policing Guidance set out a four-stage test to assessing seriousness. Culpability, harm, 
aggravating features and mitigating features. And the High Court in Roscoe reminded panels that seriousness was not a binary question of serious or not serious, and that panels must assess the level of seriousness. And in the case of Officer A, it was not apparent that the panel had taken into account the actual harm caused by Officer A's remarks when his BAME colleagues learnt of his comments. And in the judgment, after detailed consideration of the guidance, Mrs Justice Edie concluded that whilst the panel should be afforded a degree of latitude and a generous approach should be taken to their reasoning, the panel still needed to demonstrate that it had actually engaged with the relevant factors identified on the evidence. And in this case, the evidence relevant to harm did not just relate to the broader issue of reputational harm, which the panel had identified. There was also evidence of actual harm suffered by BAME officers in the unit who had come to learn of Officer A's remarks and conduct. And that had not been specifically referenced by the panel at all, which was considered to be a failing. Mrs Justice Edie also found that the panel had erred in its approach to mitigation, in particular finding that the panel's view that Officer A had been provoked by the conduct of his colleagues leaving the office to be irrational. Lastly, Mrs Justice Edie was concerned about the panel's approach uh, to Officer A's personal mitigation because the panel had not demonstrated that it had thereafter returned to the purpose of imposing a disciplinary outcome, i.e. the maintenance of public confidence in and the reputation of the police service, the upholding of high standards in policing and the protection of the public. Instead, the panel had approached the question of sanction through the prism of Officer A's personal mitigation rather than the public-oriented concerns to which it was required to have regard. The Chief Constable's challenge therefore succeeded and the outcome decision was quashed and remitted to a fresh panel for redetermination. I think this case confirms the importance of panels following the approach set out in the guidance in particular in relation to the seriousness of the, of the misconduct. Yes, the case does confirm that the Administrative Court will be prepared to quash a police misconduct panel's decision on outcome if it is not apparent that the panel has followed the structured approach set out in the College of Policing guidance. That guidance emphasises a number of paragraphs, in particular 4.15 and 4.51 to 4.54, that certain types of misconduct will be considered to be especially serious. This includes discrimination, whether conscious or, or unconscious, and any element of unlawful discrimination will be an aggravating factor, in particular paragraphs 4.66 to 4.67. The High Court in this case has again emphasised the importance misconduct panels clearly addressing the question of seriousness taking into account both the evidence in the case and what the College of Policing guidance says about the seriousness of particular types of behaviour. 
in a case that was particularly concerned with the impact of discrimination, not only on public confidence in the police service generally, but also on other serving officers, especially those from BME backgrounds, this ruling reflects the seriousness with which discrimination should be treated by panels properly following the College of Policing guidance. It emphasises the need for panels to make it clear that they have properly assessed seriousness before then turning their minds to the second stage of the outcome process, the purpose of imposing sanctions in police misconduct proceedings. Thank you, Stephen. That was very interesting and we will see where it takes us. Thank you very much. Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.